0: And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, and give us ears to hear what you want to say, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Remember, when Josie gave birth to our fourth child, Naomi. Naomi. Uh, She did it without any pain medicine at all. That was the first time she gave birth without any pain medicine at all. And uh, that was the first time I had witnessed that, a a birth without any pain medicine. And um, in our Romans passage, Paul talks about groaning as in pain of childbirth. And I remember after witnessing that, it was a painful labor and delivery, but Naomi came and was healthy. But after that was in the middle of the night, there were not too many people up and about in the hospital. I just remember walking in the halls of the hospital, those empty halls late at night, and just asking God, why does it have to be so painful? Why? Why, why does it have to be so painful? To see that was was hard to see, and Paul says that uh, he he likens creation to a person who is groaning in pains of childbirth, and then he says, "And we also, who have the the first fruits of the spirit, the spirit of God is in us, but we also participate in this groaning, in this pain." And it does raise the question, like, why is this the reality? That we face today, and then how can we face the reality? Whether it's physical pain, whether it's the groaning that comes from illness, or old age, or dying, or or whether it's psychological pain and the groaning that's associated with that. Loneliness, anxiety, depression, uh, family risk, relationship breakdowns. We are, we're familiar with groaning part of the human experience. But you know, I was reading a doctor and he said that the the problem today is that in, in modern advanced societies, he said that the better we get at alleviating suffering through medicine and technology, the more difficult it is for us to psychologically handle suffering. And especially when the medicine and the technology fail. So, what does God have to say to those who groan? What is God's word to his sons and daughters who groan? And how can we go through this with hope? That's what Paul teaches us here in Romans 8. He says, yes, there's groaning, but there's also glory. And we are to live as we go through those groaning seasons with our hope fixed on the glory to come. And that will give us strength. And so, let's look at what Paul says here. A perspective on how to walk through suffering in hope. Uh, First of all, at verse 18, he says that, the glory to come will far outweigh the sufferings of this life. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So, Paul is acknowledging that there's suffering. Paul was an apostle who suffered greatly, and there are times where he recounts in his letters all the ways that he suffered. You know, he's writing letters from prison. So he suffered imprisonment. He suffered in one place in 2 Corinthians. He talks about it. The beatings, the hardship, the hunger, the shipwreck. Paul knew suffering. But he said, I've come to this conclusion in his life with God as he's gone through this suffering that if you put present suffering on the scale, on one side of the scale, and future glory to come, there's no comparison. The future glory to come will far outweigh the present suffering. The present suffering is like a popcorn kernel on one side of the scale. The glory to come is like a big old weight on the other side of the scale. And when that hits, the suffering will fly away. The suffering will be gone. And so Paul wants us to live as sons and daughters of God with that future perspective in mind that eternal perspective that glory is coming this is what god has promised jesus wants people to live with an eternal perspective we just heard that parable that there are two eternal destinations there's the destination of those who will not turn to god that they they continue to rebel against god the source of life and love and their suffering To come for them if they will not respond to God's gracious offer. If they persist in cutting themselves off from God's light and love. That will be where they'll end up. That will be the tragedy. But but then Jesus says, but the sons of righteousness, those who respond to him in faith and repentance, they will shine like the stars. Jesus wants us to understand this eternal perspective. Paul wants us to live with an eternal perspective. The suffering is not going to last forever. I read a a theologian who posed a a question. He says it's a good question for us as we go through suffering and even think about the problem of suffering and evil. This is a guy named Millard Erickson. He said, well, how important will this be to you a year from now? Five years from now? Fifteen million years from now? Put it in an eternal perspective. The suffering won't last forever. And so we need to remember that as we're going through those growing and groaning seasons, this isn't going to last forever. I need to have an eternal perspective on this. So, one reason we can trust God's promise of future glory is because God is sovereign over creation. And God is in control of creation. And God is sovereign ultimately over those who are created in his image. And Paul reminds us of that here in this next portion. How God is in control over his creation. As he personifies creation in verse 20. For creation was subjected to futility. Frustration, some translations say. It's not working the way exactly God designed it to work. It's under futility. It's in subjection. It's taking orders from futility and frustration right now. And he says, it's not willingly doing this, but listen to this, because of him who subjected it in hope. Somebody subjected creation to follow this order of futility. And who is that? Who's the one who did that? God the Creator. God the Creator. As we read in Genesis, after Adam and Eve sinned, after they turned from God's command, that's when death and pain came into the world. God created the world to be a place of abundance, of beauty, of flourishing for those who are made in His image to walk closely with Him. But that fellowship was broken. And then Genesis 3, thorns and thistles, death and pain came into the world. From dust you came, to dust you shall return. That's Genesis 3. That's God's verdict on creation. That's God's verdict against sin. The cause of it is sin. But God's response to this Is that now creation is subjected to this futility? So that's the bad news. But here's the good news, brothers and sisters. If God is the creator, and if God is the one who can subject creation to futility, this same God can redeem creation. This same God is sovereignly in control, ultimately, of creation and where it's headed. And so he can redeem creation. We sing about this at Christmas time. Let's have a little Christmas in July. He comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. There's death, there's thorns, there's thistles. There's pain, but God promises and he sent his son into the world to begin this work of redemption far as the curse is found. So, there's coming a day when God is going to say, that's it. The suffering is over. He subjected creation, listen to what Paul says, in hope. Futility is not the last word. Death is not the last word. Droning is not the last word for the people of God. He subjected creation in hope that creation will be set free. So there's coming a day when God is going to say, no more. No more. Creation is not working as God intended it to work perfectly. And God's going to say there's going to be no more flooding. Like we've experienced here in the United States, in some parts of the country, have you seen the news reports? It caused a lot of damage, a lot of pain. People, some people, was being swept away in these floods. In Colombia, there was a mudslide last week. It took like I think 18 people just swept away in a mudslide. God's going to say someday, no more. It's over, and there's only going to be glory and redemption his sons and daughters in a new heaven and new earth no more no more ICUs intensive care units no more uh, dementia wards no more surgery no need for chemotherapy no need for crisis counseling redemption is coming funeral homes will be out of business that's good news No more groaning for the sons or daughters of God because glory is coming. This is God's promise. This is God the creator. This is God who is ultimately in charge of creation. And so for Paul and and for the rest of the New Testament writers, this glory to come, it's about uh, the redemption of creation. And it's about the redemption of the sons and daughters of God which must include, and this gets underplayed too often in modern Christianity, it must include the body. It must include the body. Because we are not just souls. We are body and souls. We're a union of body and soul. That's who we are from a biblical worldview. And so for us to be fully redeemed, it must include the body. There's a lot of groaning that's caused by the body, isn't there? (laughs) A lot of pain, a lot of anxiety around the body. And so Paul says in verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. You know, that's important. Paul's saying, you know, there's this there's this future hope that's out there. We'll talk more about this next week. But there's a present reality for the people of God. They have the inward spirit of God. They have the life of God living in them in this, uh, by the, the spirit. It's the spirit we saw last week that bears witness to our spirit, that we are sons and daughters of God, that we can know God now, that his life is in us now, giving us strength, giving us hope. It's not just about what's out there to come, but there's a present reality for the sons and daughters of God. Because the Spirit of God dwells within them. There's an opportunity, as we've talked about in the past couple of weeks. There's, there's uh, opportunity is not the right way to put it, but there's a, a resource to help us through the struggle that we have with sin. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have this first fruit. When you see the first fruit of a garden beginning to appear, you know there's a greater harvest to come. There's a present reality. But there's another present reality. That is, those who have the first fruit of the Spirit also groan. We also suffer. It's part of living in a fallen world. But we groan inwardly waiting for adoption as sons. The redemption of the body. And so the redemption includes the body uh, on the last day when Christ comes. And the dead in Christ will rise. Their bodies will be fully redeemed. When we think about the redemption of the body or the glorification of the body, sometimes you'll hear people talk about the glorified body. Oftentimes we think of a physical upgrade. And that's part of it. There will be no more sickness, no more death, no more pain, no more tears, as John says in Revelation. And as you look at the the body of Christ, when he was raised, his resurrection body, his glorified body, had new physical properties that are mind-boggling, that he could just appear in a room, for example. So this idea of a physical upgrade is part of the glorification of the body. And that's important, again, because so much of our groaning is related to our bodies. And the older I get, the more I appreciate the idea of a physical upgrade. <laughs> Last week, Josie and I, uh, we took the kids, some of our kids, down to a park and we played soccer with them. And so, <laughs> um, I don't play soccer At 50, like I used to at 20 and 30. I can still kind of jog around a little bit in these short bursts of sprinting. That's about all you can get out of me. While my kids are just zipping all around us. Um, We actually won the game, though, because Josie stayed at the other end of the field and I just kicked the ball to her the whole time. So I think she was offsides the entire time. But that's how you win when you're older, right? But the next day I wake up and I sound like a bowl of Rice Krispies. You know, I get out of bed and everything snap, crackle, and pop. My knees are cracking and such. It's not like it was in my 20s and 30s. The body breaks down. And some of you know that a lot more than I do. And there'll be a day, if God allows me to live long enough, where I won't be able to play soccer with the kids. I'll be on the sidelines hopefully watching their grandkids play them. That'll be fun. But that day will come, God willing. And so, as we age, as we get older, we look forward to the glorified body in the sense of a physical upgrade. But more importantly, there's a spiritual upgrade. There's a spiritual upgrade. Because we'll be free from the struggle of sin. And Paul's been talking about sin in the struggle with the flesh in Romans 8 and really leading up to Romans 8 and how we don't do what the things that we want to do. And even though we want to please God, we find ourselves sometimes doing the things we don't want to do. And there's this continual struggle and there's this angst over it. And one day we will be liberated from that struggle. The flesh is about pleasing the self. God wants us to live pleasing Him continually. And we're in this struggle. But in eternity, the struggle will be over. And I like what the ESV study Bible has in a note about the glorified body. Listen to this. Our glorified bodies will never be sick or grow old or die and be completely without sin. No one like that has ever appeared except Christ. But in eternity, Christians will be morally without sin, intellectually without falsehood or error, physically without weakness or imperfection, and continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when we are in eternity, we'll see Christ. And the scripture says we will be like Him when we see Him as He is. We won't be exactly like Him, but we'll be like Him in these ways. We'll have a glorified body. That's the blessed hope for God's sons and daughters. Are you living in that hope today? Are you clinging to that hope today? Are you thinking about that as you go through life and you go through those groaning seasons that this is not all there is? There's glory to come. And so Paul calls us to live With this hope at the end of the passage, that's where he's going here, that this future glory that God promises should cause us to be animated now with hope and patience. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. Hope has to do, obviously, with the future, with what's coming around the corner. We hope for things that we do not see. This is a challenge to us, isn't it? Because we are so immersed in the visible realities. And so through prayer and worship, we connect with God and the spiritual realities begin to grow. And that's where Paul's going to go in Romans 8 as he talks about prayer and prayer in the spirit. The spirit helps us with this. But we have reason to believe in God's promise of hope because... God is the creator, therefore, the redeemer of creation. Because God created and he's promised to redeem, we can trust him. He's the sovereign creator. The spirit is with us bearing witness that we are sons and daughters of God. And then we have a reason to believe in this redeemed body. Because Christ was raised from the dead. God raised his son from the dead. The one who was crucified and laid three days in a tomb, God raised him from the dead. And we share in that victory if we're united to Christ by faith. And so we're called to wait with hope and patience as we go through difficult times. And we can trust God's promise because of His character and what He's done for us in Christ. You know, if if Nancy told me, Ben, I want to meet you on Tuesday at the Starbucks down the street, nine o'clock, and um, I get there just a little bit before nine and she's not there. I'm going to wait in patience for a while at least. I'm going to be patient because I know the kind of person she is. You know, she's the kind of person that shows up and she'll let me know if she can't show up. <laughs> How much more when it comes to God and His character? He's promised some things. He's done some things. He's promised that some things are going to come to us. Some good things. Glory that will far outweigh the suffering of this life. Can we trust His character? Can we trust His promises? I'll just close with this, but um, I remember reading earlier I think it was this year it might have been last year that Tim Keller published an article in the Atlantic magazine. Tim Keller was a famous pastor some of you know the name in Manhattan wrote lots of books and he published this article in Atlantic magazine which was read by, you know, thousands tens of thousands of people people who aren't Christians. But He had been diagnosed and he died from pancreatic cancer and so he wrote this article as a pastor saying am I going to be able to practice what I've been preaching all these years as I face the end of life and he wrote this article explaining how he was facing this suffering how he was going through it how he was groaning through it and and hanging on to hope and you need to read the article. You can just Google Tim Keller Atlantic and see what he says. There. He's very honest about the struggle this is and the anxiety and the fear that he was going through, but also how he was dealing with this with God. And one thing he said that struck me is he said, as we are going through suffering, this is what he found. He said, we need to talk to ourselves about the promises of God. And remind ourselves of the promises of God. In the presence of God. He said you see it in the Psalms where the psalmist will say, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? It's like you take yourself by the lapel and you look at yourself and say, Hey, let's get a grip here. (laughs) Remember who God is. And, And Keller writes this, and I just love this imagery. He says, We need to take the truths about God. And press them down into our hearts until they catch fire. Take the truth about who God is, what He's promised, in prayer. Talk to yourself about it. Talk to God about it. Press it into your heart until it catches fire. That's how we can live with hope and patience in the groaning seasons of life. We remember the promise Glory is on the way. Let's pray. God, I I pray that you help us to do that. Help me to do that. You've given us so many wonderful promises in Christ, and sometimes, Lord, these things seem so distant from our present reality. Help us to take the time to talk to you about these promises, to, to remind ourselves of these promises. And by your Spirit, press them deeply into our hearts so our hearts catch fire and we can live in this hope now and forever, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.